everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. It is me, your host, Dave Wakeman. My guest today, I'm very excited to share my conversation with Lisa Walker, the Senior Vice President of Business Development for College Athletics at Eventelect. This was Lisa's first podcast uh, appearance. So she said she did it because she thought I would be an easy one to start with. I said, oh, you must be new here. Uh, Lisa was great. We had an awesome conversation. So before I get to talking and telling you about Lisa, how is everybody doing, right? Um, Things are starting to reopen now. uh, It has the feeling that we are starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I think Dr. Fauci said we're at the corner, not around the corner. Things are more hopeful. Uh, It's April 6th as I'm recording this intro to release the episode. I just got my second shot of Moderna about two hours ago. Um, you know, so things are looking up, right? Uh, if you are eligible to get your shot, get it as soon as possible. Um, the first level of discomfort or the first shot that my discomfort level was two out of 10, a uh, little stiffness, a little achiness, um, a little fatigue for a day or two, um, probably much better than getting the, the, the virus. So, you know, make sure you get your shot, right? Um, but things are reopening. Uh, people are watching baseball. I believe all 30 baseball Stadiums allow some fans to some extent, which is exciting. I might even go to the game on Thursday to see the Orioles and the Red Sox. I mean, can't wait to go out and have a, a beer and watch baseball. I mean, it's great. Um, my friend Carl Fitzpatrick, former uh, guest on the Business of Fun, the Warrington Wolves, uh, the team he runs, they're going to have 4,000 people at a game coming up in a couple days. Um, the Carabao Cup, which is going to be Spurs versus City, uh, they're going to have, I think, 8,000 people. In Australia, things are mostly almost back to normal. At the, most places, 80-85% capacity. In China, as Greg Turner mentioned a few weeks back, you know, ni- there's no restrictions in a lot of places. Uh, Maybe self-imposed ones, but it, it's great. Um, we're going to get through this. Like I said, I don't know how many times at this point. Um, but just keep your head up. Keep pushing forward. As I've said throughout this entire thing, now for however long I've been saying this, if you do need somebody to talk to, send me an email. It's dave at davewakeman.com. I know that this has been a long, long year, and it has been tough in some way, shape, or form for everybody, even if you don't feel it is. Um, You know, so if you need somebody to talk to, even if you just want to crack some jokes, I'm around, right? Uh, You know, take advantage of me. Use me, right? Dave at davewakeman.com. Another thing is, is as we work to reopen and we start to see more and more things reopen, I'm going to start shifting some of the content about things around recovery or things to help make sure that the our businesses all recover in a way that is sustainable, that isn't a sugar high, and that maybe even puts us in a better position than we were before. Uh, hopefully, everybody has had an opportunity to kind of rethink their best practices, even though I don't want to spoil it because I saw a discount code go out for on the second day somebody was open, I don't think so. But we'll we'll talk about that. And actually, it's going to probably be the lead story in my newsletter on Friday, which is Talking Tickets, uh, which you can get for free at talkingtickets.substack.com, talkingtickets.substack.com. And if you can't find it, send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com. But I want to focus people on ways to recover. I want to teach people how to be uh, better, better use data, better use uh, research, better understand the customer. Um, It's going to be a very competitive environment, which when people are able to go back to being somewhat normal again, and you can't just assume that demand. One of the things that I keep hearing and is very frustrating to me as a marketer is I hear people just go, well, what will demand look like? And my answer is always like going, if you're in marketing, if you're in sales, your job is to drive demand. It's not to wait for demand. Uh, waiting for demand, that's that inbound stuff that doesn't work, right? Um, you know, that they keep trying to sell you on, uh, it doesn't work. Their, their inbound uh, is, they're doing outbound to convince you of inbound. You got to drive and create demand. And that's what I want to focus on. So I want to hear from you to tell me what ideas, topics, uh, areas you're thinking about or concerned about. Send me again, an email, dave at davewakeman.com with your thoughts and your ideas and your suggestions. I'm going to try to incorporate more of the mini episodes with special lessons, uh, maybe some new webinars, all kinds of stuff to help people 
focus on recovery. Reopening is one thing. Recovery is another. I want to keep everybody's attention where it needs to be, which is not the short term, but the long term. Um, make sure that you take a look at my friends Booking Protect, their website, bookingprotect.com. Uh, as we are emerging from all of these lockdowns and closings and reopenings with closings, um, refund protection is probably going to be a really valuable tool in helping you uh, recover, uh, give people clarity, certainty, comfort with the decision to buy tickets to an event or a show. Uh, check out Booking Protect at bookingprotect.com. So make sure you reach out and connect with Cat. Kath or Simon about Booking Protect and investigate whether or not refund protection may be a valuable tool for you. Um, the data shows that the uptake, uh, the uptake rate on refund protection is, uh, I believe, almost doubled from before the pandemic. So it can be a valuable refund uh, re revenue stream for you. It can be a valuable customer service tool and it can give people a little bit more comfort in their buying experience. Also, I have been talking to you uh, in my newsletter or on my blog or all over the place about the Net Promoter Score and the Net Promoter Score survey and about how powerful I feel like the Net Promoter Score is. Um, I found out that Eventelect and Patrick Ryan are also big fans. Um, I talked to Patrick a while back when I first started talking about the NPS score. The score at the time for the Talking Tickets newsletter and the podcast, everything was around 53, which is pretty fantastic. Um, then Patrick said, oh, Ventilex is 77. And I was like, you little ripper, as they say, as they would say on uh, American Ninja Warrior Australia. Because uh, they have 77 and that's amazing. And so we came together and we've created a worksheet. Um, you can get it by sending me an email, daviddavewakeman.com, that explains the NPS score, un tells you how to do it, and it puts it in a context so that you can figure out how to use it to create value for your organization. One of the really cool things about it is it's one question at maximum three. And what comes out of it is like it gives you one metric that you can measure to find out whether or not your business is doing well or not well by your customers. Measuring it over time can tell you whether or not you're in a position to grow or not grow. And if you use the second or in third questions, it gives you a chance to get both quantitative and qualitative research from your market. Opens up conversations around what you're doing well, what your fans and customers want to, you to do more of. It's a really, really great tool. Um, you know, I think it's awesome. Uh, Patrick thinks it's awesome. Talking to the people at Eventelect about it, it's been an amazing tool for them because it's opened up so many insights and so many things that they've been able to apply to their business, which really mirrors mine. And a lot of the people who have seen me talk about it and have started to share some of their stories. It's awesome. Uh, it's simple to use and it's kind of merciless. Like you can tell exactly where you are fairly quickly by just measuring the score and asking the question on a scale of zero to ten how likely are you to recommend X to your colleagues or friends or family, whatever it is, right? Um, so get the worksheet by sending me an email, daviddavewakeman.com. I'll send it over to you. And as an added bonus, the first three people that ask um, ask for the the survey worksheet or ask, uh, ask me to uh, help them review it or analyze it or do something, we're going to offer that too. So you're not only getting the worksheet, you're going to get a free chance to have a coaching session with me. Um, that's our gift to you as part of reopening and recovery is helping you understand one tool that you can use to help make your business better. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. I like to to talk people through this and teach people about it. So take me up on the offer, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. I'm here for you. Make sure you check out my friends at ActivityStream. Uh, the team there has put together the We Will Recover project. That's wewillrecover.live uh, to help people recover. And 
reinvent their businesses, rethink their business, reimagine their businesses. Uh, Activity Stream has been hard at work on some new tools to help you better understand your data coming out of the pandemic and to help make it useful. Uh, one of the big challenges that all of us are going to deal with is what, re- what data is relevant now, what data is useful now. How do we use it to make better decisions going forward? It is a big challenge. So make sure you check out Activity Stream at activitystream.com. Now, after this long introduction, let me tell you about Lisa Walker. So like I told you at the start, Lisa Walker is the Senior Vice President of Business Development for College Athletics at Eventelect. And Lisa, for better or for worse, chose the Business of Fun to have be her first podcast episode. And we had a lot of fun. And we did. It was great. We talked about um, revenue generation and maximizing profit. Um, the idea that all customers aren't necessarily good customers. We talked about what data is useful now and what data is not useful now. We talked about, um, she um, coined a term on here that I was jealous of because I was working to try to talk, come up with a good term and she beat me to it, which is first class data. It's an awesome way. Um, so Lisa defines first class data and explains it through the lens of her work with colleges around the country. Uh, we talked about behavior. We talked about market segmentation. We talked about um, driving demand, generating demand. We talked about making sure that you are in control of the levers of demand and not just waiting around for this. Um, and you could see the air quotes that I'm about to hold up hot event to drive sales for you. Um, we talked about transparency. We talked about being a good partner. We talked about shared outcomes. We talked about. Um, you know, maximizing attendance versus maximizing revenue, um, understanding what's best for an organization. Um, we talked about all kinds of really cool stuff. When Lisa said it was her first podcast at the end, I was like, going, are you sure? Because you did a really great job. Um, and it was a lot of fun because, you know, I was like, going, wow, I'm surprised we never talked before because we really had like hit it off and we had a great time. And Lisa's awesome. I think you're going to love listening to her ideas. Um, I can't wait for you to hear this. So I've gone on far too long. Here's my conversation with Lisa Walker on the business of fun. I would like to welcome Lisa Walker to the business of fun podcast. Lisa, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. Yeah, no, this is going to be fun. We've left about uh, 20 minutes of really great stuff on the, on the cutting room floor already because I forgot to start recording. So, uh, no, no worries. And, and uh, <laughs> To your point, there is nothing more fun than talking about data. So um, for the next 20, 30 minutes, I look forward to, to kind of jumping in the weeds here and talking about why that's so important and what we do every day. Yeah, I was tell- I, I don't know if I'm a new convert to data and research um, or I was always doing data and research. I think that what I've d- discovered is that a lot of people get jammed up by what data and research um, mean and like how to actually make it work for your business, um, which is one of the cool things about what, you know, how we came together because during the pandemic, right, everybody's been disrupted. Um, a lot of people have been frozen in place. If uh, the conversations I'm having with people are any indication of a larger theme. On the other hand, there's organizations like you and Eventelect that you said, well, we'll just go out, we'll do some research, we'll figure out what people are really, um, what's going on for people. And you, you did a really robust and great uh, survey. And um, Patrick emailed me, your CEO, mm-hmm. Patrick Ryan, and he said, oh, you know, you're talking about this NPS score um, and bragging about my 53, which is now a 67, by the way, by the way. Uh, but you guys have a 77, uh, which is amazing. Um and so I want to start out because, uh, number one, I'm jealous. I'm still working towards a 77. Um, but, you know, what was the idea behind doing some research during the pandemic? You know, how did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, well, that, that's a, that's a, a, a great question. Um, and we, we are thrilled about um, the NPS score because it's really it's a testament to to our partners um, and working with them. So. We're thrilled about that. But uh, in terms of, you know, doing research, there was probably no better time to be doing research than during a time that none of us have ever experienced, and that being the pandemic or something that we thought, you know, I'm sure none of us ever imagined we would live through that. Um, But because during that time, there were so many things unfolding before our eyes, um, you know, and new terms and new ways of selling. Um, that it really was a, a pivotal point where 
we had to you know, survey our customers to understand how their priorities were changing. How were their needs changing? How were their policies changing? Um, how were you know, their facility maps changing? <laughs> you know, a box office, uh, you know, director of box office ticketing would be, you know, probably laugh and say, I've never put so many different manifests together in different pod sizes. You know, we had six or seven different options for how we were about to go on sale. So all those things were unique during the pandemic. Um, and by really having that, you know, sort of interaction, doing a lot of study on, you know, what's selling, what's not, what's actually converting, where's the demand, um, and then sharing that, you know, really through cross-pollination of all of our customers, I think that's what brought to light these new best practices, because we were having to dive into new new types of data. We were having to share that across um, our partners to help them really maximize what they could in limited capacity um, with limited resources. And if you had an opportunity to have fans in the building, we wanted to make sure that we were filling every possible seat to make every possible dollar um, that we could during the pandemic. So. Um, you know, when, when maybe we weren't selling as many tickets as we were in a normal year, it did give us that opportunity to really dive in with our customers, make sure we were engaging, you know, on a consistent manner. And then, um, you know, most importantly, you know, I think sort of that theme of data is, okay, we're, now we're gathering all this data. What do we do with it? Um, and, and data is really, uh, <laughs> we let, we laugh, you know, it's so great when you think about, yes, data. I love having um, so much data to look at to drive the decisions I want to make as a business. But really the power behind data is the insights. And so you really have to have both to make it what I'd call you know, first class data is not only clean data, uh, robust data, data that's flowing into a, a system that then can be analyzed and that's the key analyzed and then shared um, with our partners so um, you know when it comes to like that that best in class when you have a, a superior product and the ability to collect data and then actually analyze the data that's when you know you're really providing value for your partners I like this uh, let's let's retire the best in class data thing because I think first class data is is really an awesome way of framing it, um, you know, because best in class can mean doesn't necessarily mean you are doing a great job with your data. But first class, to me, that rings like um, something awesome, something like you really should be like highlighting and bringing to the fore. Um, so that I, I love that term. I wish I had coined it again. Don't get me jealous here. Uh, but let me ask you. Let me go a step further on the first class data idea, right? And and so how. Because you talked about the collecting the data is one thing, but then the insights and analyzing it is another one. Um, people get jammed up on that in some from the conversations I have. You know, how, so how do you help people understand how to approach their data so that they can get insights from it? So it isn't just this kind of mass of data that actually ends up not being actionable. Because if you can't apply an action to your data, it becomes less you know less useful. Yeah, well, uh, agreed. Um, so it it seems like a simple concept to make data simple, but it's actually a harder thing to do in practice. Um, but it's it's something thankful at events like we really have the expertise and and the 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 people here who help to aggregate the data um, and then serve it in a way that can be consumed at a very almost, I'm going to say simple high level manner. You know, when you look at data, uh, you know, you should be able to extract something from the data and the insights within 30 seconds. Um, and that's what executives are wanting too. is if we send out a, um, and what this is actually what we have done during the pandemic is we started to actually formalize when we were sending out industry insights and it was based on all the data, right, that we had been collecting. So we would spend, we would send these out every two weeks and we call them industry quick hits. So, you know, if we spend a whole week collecting data, but we want to sum it up in a 
30 second quick hit newsletter. That's, you know, what the president, senior vice president, you know, wants to see that in an email on their mobile phone is here's the industry trends um, that we're seeing and be able to consume that, you know, right at the, at the tip of their fingers. Um, so that, you know, if we, here, here's one of the things that came out of the pandemic is we saw a demand for, for uh, pairs, you know, it was more efficient uh, in terms of selling to sell tickets in a pair versus in four packs, six pack, eight packs. So I need to know that right away so that if I'm actually selling, I need to reduce the number of eight packs I'm selling and start carving out my inventory in two packs so that I can sell more. And that's, that's the type of insight that, you know, took many weeks to realize that trend was happening through initial sales. And as soon as we saw that insight, you know, that's something everyone should know right away so that they, they can change the way that they're selling to eventually what's the outcome I want. I want to make more money and I want to sell more tickets. Okay. Go and change your, go and change your manifest <laughs> so that we're only selling pairs. Um, so it's, you know, to make data actionable, it has to be delivered in a way that's simple, easy to understand, um, not consuming to read. Um, and a lot of times that also means having some visuals too. You know, a lot of people are very visual. So if I can see some graphs um, about, you know, what's trending up and what's trending down um, or what's selling faster, uh, you know, at a higher, at a higher rate, those are really important things to know um, because then you can make quick changes in terms of your business um, that reflect the trends and again, hopefully help you um, build a build a stronger business and, and achieve the goals that you have um, for, for uh, selling through, you know, in a limited capacity. So I think, you know, going back, we really making that data simple, consumable, sometimes visual um, is really important to, to using it in a meaningful way. Yeah, no, that, that's really great. And the example of two packs versus fours or sixes or eights, it brings up a question, and I'm going to be curious because this is something. Uh, I guess I'll explain it before I ask you the question. It, it, I know from having worked on marketing plans and with people and businesses all over the world that there is a pretty clear playbook for um, a recession. You know, it's if you can still continue to advertise, it makes sense because you usually get a. Uh, end up with like a price premium for the money you're spending on advertising. It allows you to take up more, you know, mind and space for people because of a pandemic doesn't come very often though. Uh, the way I've been looking at it is like a lot of the old data and a lot of the old playbooks we have, they're not as valuable any longer, but it seems that the example you gave with the two packs, the four packs, etc., um, that would actually be something where your old data would actually be useful now, uh, or as you were working through the pandemic, because you could probably look at your data. And I was looking back at some old data I had, where the vast majority of tickets I sold when I was selling tickets day to day were two packs. You know, pairs wow. were the were the biggest thing. Um, and I think that like that would have been pretty something you would have been able to glean from from data. Uh, that you had pre before the pandemic, um, you, you know, am I right about that? And is that like, and is there stuff like that that you can actually use to make that old data still useful, so you can make better decisions now, or yeah. are we just going to be stuck with like data as we get it now, and kind of like in a little bit of a holding pattern until we start to see patterns emerge and we get more sales data? Right. So I I, I love the concept of the demand for for pairs now. So to, and to your point, that's something that we're going to take with us moving forward. Um, you know, when you think about product offerings to um, pre-pandemic, you'd have, a, you know, season tickets and mini plans um, and then single game tickets. And there was the same sort of sales cycle, you know, for every team every year, you do renewals first, then you sell seasons, then you open it up to mini plans, and then finally you sell, sell singles but the product mix of how you establish an offering, I think we've learned that there can be some new ways to bundle, you know, the tickets and maybe new experiences as well. But there's, uh, you know, understanding and seeing this, this demand for pairs, you know, perhaps there's a whole new product that is 
a, an offering where I'm going to sell pairs of tickets and, you know, and, and maybe bundle in an experience. But it would be really interesting if there was a team out there that said, you know, heading into this year, we're actually going to start this new way of bundling our tickets um, because we saw that data in a pandemic year and we're still, you know, we're not 100% out of it yet. So consumer behavior has changed. So looking at that behavior through the lens of data, how do we then tailor you know, our product offerings to match the demand or match the appetite of our fans? Because that's what clearly they were asking for. And that's, that's like a really eye-opening opportunity for hopefully maybe some teams come this fall is how do we take you know, a new trend that emerged and meet our customers where they're at and provide them with something that um, their behavior showed a lot of interest in, in investing in. Lisa, why are you kissing up to me with all this talk about segment, <laughs> market orientation and segmenting based I, on I, behavior? I, Come I on, it's my some, job to kiss team, up to you. <laughs> I, I really want some team to create like a pair pack as an offering and, and see if we can actually create, you know, Maybe that'll be a million million dollar idea for for some team out there. We'll we'll see. Um, but it's you know it is exciting because there are new best practices. Um, we're seeing them unfold before our eyes, and we're also it stretches us to get creative. Um, now that we've you know this time last year, when you think about all the ways that sports teams were were pushed to think differently and still now are challenged to create a different type of fan experience because our behaviors and the way that we interact has changed. So this is, this is almost, it's, you know, it's an opportunity of a lifetime. Um, now that we can, there's so much momentum too of the world moving in a positive direction with the speed of the vaccine and stadiums getting fuller slowly, but surely. Um, I mean, with, you know, I will always caveat or, or asterisk, I should say, that the pandemic is unpredictable. Mm-hmm. But when you have Roger Goodell talking about 100% capacity in fall, um, you have college teams that are selling at 100% capacity. Granted, we may not be 100% there when that time actually comes. But the viewpoint right now is that we're moving in that direction, which is very exciting. Um, and again, when I talk about that opportunity, it gives us a chance to come up with with new ways to look at how we're creating uh, or how we're using our our tickets. Just you know, from a content rights viewpoint, that's you know, it's one of your most valuable assets. And and reshaping the way that you deliver that and sell that uh, and distribute that to your fans. Now you you brought up a good example too of like the NFL and, the, and a lot of and some college programs talking about a hundred percent attendance, and you also made the the really appropriate observation that the pandemic is unpredictable. And mm-hmm. one of the observations I've made is that like every time we think the best case scenario, and we have a, cho- a path between the best case and the worst case scenario, um, the worst case seems to bite us right in the knees and take us out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that just seems to be what's happening. Yeah. Um, but now that like you know baseball is i think every team in baseball is going to be able to have fans in some capacity a lot of uh, nhl nba teams are able to have 10 to 15 percent uh, uh capacity uh, you know mm-hmm. very various depend on market obviously um what is the key to driving attendance now because one of the things that i'm concerned about is that people uh, might take uh, reopening to mean recovery and that they'll just go, the demand's just going to be there. And I've heard this term, um, you know, the demand's going to come back like, you know, just no problem from more people than I, I care to mention. Um, you know, how how do we make sure we're driving attendance now? You know, like what are some of the data that you have? What does it show uh, as far as like how to make sure we, we're getting people into the, the venues? You know, how we're generating demand and how we're making sure that we're managing the reopening process effectively. You know, that, that's, that is another really good question. Um, and I, I do feel like I get asked every day, what's demand going to be like, what's demand going to be like, (laughs) um, and demand, you know, there's definitely some pent up demand. Fans want to get out. 
we have seen strong sale initial sales here for baseball, which is positive. So we're continuing to watch what happens here, you know, on a month by month, week by week, day by day basis. So, you know, that is exciting to see with the start of baseball, even weekday games, um, we're seeing really strong sales. So it, but, but also creating demand or supporting demand has a lot to do with the communication, frankly, is do your fans know that you have tickets available? Do your fans know what options um, you have in the stadium? I mean, some baseball teams have, you know, no limited capacity in certain areas and have other areas where they have carved out um, different zones for, for, you know, space in between seats um, to spread fans out. So because there's going to be such a difference across your fan base, um, the communication is key so that one fans know that tickets are on sale, that there are different types of options. Um, and when they actually, you know, when you think about those type of fans and sort of segmenting your marketing to your, to the different types of fans that you have, I think you'll do a lot better. You know, I think teams will do a lot better in sort of creating demand. If I know when on a game by game basis, now this even takes a step further. If you're communicating, you know, what options are available to me as a fan on a game by game basis, then I feel like, like I'm really, you know, am I, I'm ready to go. And are there tickets available? What should I expect when I get there? You know, are there safety protocols in place? You know, do you think demand, you know, the experience when I get in there, what is it going to be like? Um, and all those things have, have evolved. And so because it's a different offering and different timeline for, you know, and different schedules this year in the way that many of the leagues are, you know, shifting things around or starting late or adding a game, um, that, that communication piece is so big in helping to drive demand. Um, and I think more than ever, it, it really needs to be um, as personal and as consistent. And again, down to each game, there needs to be a communication about what's unique about this game. When are we on sale? What are we offering? How are we doing things differently? Um, those are gonna be key components to really driving demand this year. So let me uh, recap this because, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase you here. And actually, um, when I say paraphrase, this means I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant about things, but that's okay. <laughs> people are used to this by now. Um, so you're saying people should not assume demand, right? And and that, and that because I get a very similar question, and I go, "Hey, look, if you're in marketing and sales, um, you shouldn't be assuming demand. You're driving demand. That's the job." Right. Correct. <laughs> that is the job. Um, Correct. The important thing, though, which, you know, I wanted to rephrase in my words just so that way if anybody says, oh, Dave, you're wrong, it's Dave, not Lisa. Um, you want to make sure that you've done a pretty good review of your market. Right. We, we talked about segmentation at a couple points, which is very important. You have to know where your market is. Right. Every market is going to be unique. Every market is going to be different. The thing I really liked, and you didn't label it this, and I want to label it because it's I talk about it a lot, is targeting. You need to know that, like, everybody's acting different ways and you need to target the people based on the behaviors. Cause some people, uh, there was a study in the Washington post, 50% of people still don't feel comfortable going out and doing stuff, but the ch behaviors are changing as more vaccines get into people's arm. You have to know mm -hmm. that and you have to be consistent in your communications. Your job is to drive demand. Um, mm -hmm. So, and that's, you know, and I agree. Right. So I was just rephrasing that because I want to everybody to know, like, there's no magic bullet that's going to drive demand. You might throw open the doors. People might come back for a game or two. But if they don't have a good time, they don't know that things are available. Um, they don't feel like it's created for them. You know, like going back to the point you were making about product, they might come once, but they might not come back. And the thing about it is recovery means getting people to get back to the behaviors they had before and hopefully consume more sports and entertainment. I mean, that's, that's right. to me what I'm looking for. I, I'm hoping. Right. But isn't, isn't so, I mean, demand's not, this isn't a new concept that we're, we're challenged with. When you think about pre pandemic and now middle slash post pandemic demand is always what we're trying to create, you know, even for many teams, I mean, you know, you have, of course you have, the, if you look at the spectrum, you're going to have, 
teams that quote unquote, we sell out every game, we sell out every game. And then you have teams that, you know, really struggle. And then you have really the majority of teams in the middle where you constantly have to be working and thinking about how you're getting fans in the gate and in the seats. So driving demand isn't now a post-pandemic, you know, challenge. This was something we've always dealt with um, in live entertainment and in pro sports and in college sports. And, you know, really, and anytime we're, we're looking to, to drive demand, it, all the same sort of the all the same pillars are still there. You have to communicate, right? You have to target, you have to segment, you have to provide a good fan experience. So while we're seeing some shifting on now, the communication's different and the fan experience is different, but it's like, those are things we always have to focus on. So to your point, you don't open up the gates and fans come rushing in, but that was really in many cases, that was never, you know, it was never like that. So we always have to put our effort into thinking about how we're driving demand. And it's just, you know, now, now the way that we're constructing our answers and in, in delivering on that just happens to be different because we're in a different world. But the, but the issue, the, the, the concept, it's not really an issue. It's more of that concept of demand. That's nothing new. Um, how we're meeting the demand and responding to it, certainly different um, because again, we're in a different world. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and, you know, it's, it's refreshing to hear it come from somebody that's not me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because I feel a little bit like a broken record. Sometimes I go, Hey, look, you should never have been assuming demand, right? You should always, your, your job is always to create the hottest ticket in town. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, I started out in nightclubs, right? Nightclubs when I wasn't getting involved was a very competitive thing. And we had we were fighting tooth and nail to get people in our building every night. And so that's like the foundation of, you know, my marketing is like, going. I don't assume anything until there's like it's busting at the seams. I'm like, how can I get another 10 people in? You know, that's just sort of how I'm wired. And I think it is. It's important that like you're the, the, the conversation needs to be like, how are we going to get people in here? Then how are we going to make sure that they come back and over, exactly. and, over and over again? Because you can't, you know. No market's big enough to just have everybody be, come to one game, especially for like your baseball. Um, you just don't have, you know, it's just not going to happen, right? You, you're trying to right. turn everybody into a one-game fan. So you need people to come back. You need people to go back to the NPS score, right, the net promoter. You need people that come in and they're, they're going to rate you a 9 or a 10 on the right. score, right? Because they're going to tell their friends about, oh, my God, I went to the Nats game. It was amazing. Oh, my God, I right. went to see the Astros. My God, they had this huge hot dog, and I don't even like hot dogs. This thing was freaking amazing. Oh my God, <laughs> I, I went to. Uh, this is a here's a true example. Um, I went to Marlins Park. They had the greatest T-shirt ever. I was like, well, I, I want to go back and get see what other kinds of merchandise they have. Right? It's uh, you know, you need that, and that yeah. is at the heart of yeah. sports. I mean, but I mean, we talked about this before. Every night is once in a lifetime event. I mean, that's yeah. that's what you're selling once in a lifetime events. But, you know, well, now I'm a broken record again, Lisa. Well, we, you know, we're, we're only as good as our partners are in being, if our partners are successful, you know, we're successful. And, you know, from a team's perspective, you know, if the same with the fan, if the fans are, you know, enjoying them when they come to games. So it, it ties back, the team's only as strong as, you know, not necessarily the team on the field all the time, but the team is as strong as their fan base. Um, cause you can even have some of, you know, the worst performing teams, but with the, the best fan base out there. Um, so the net promoter score, uh, is, is, is really important. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a special metric because it's, it's your customers giving the feedback on, you know, how, how they feel that you're you know doing, are they going to reference you? Are they going to tell, you know, is having a high MPS score, um, good for event select so that we can have more, you know, references that our customers are talking to other teams out there and giving us a positive referral, you know, same with teams. Are there, you know, are fans going out there and going to a game and saying that was the best experience I ever had. So, um, I mean, you know, customer relationship, customer service, you know, there's so many layers to that, um, and understanding it, but being able to have, you know, a benchmark so that as an organization, you know, we can continue to get better. Um, you know, that, that, that was an important part of why we did our survey. So we can 
establish that and continue to, to strive to be great partners for the teams that we work with. Yeah. So before I ask you the next question, I want to plug the worksheet that we put, we put together. So we've partnered up on a, a Ventilectomy, Dave. We, we partnered on a worksheet um, that will help you do an NPS survey of your own. And it puts it in context. It's, um, you know, explains Ventilex 77 in context of Starbucks, who also has a 77. Uh, it, you know, looks at lower, lower class people like me with a 53. Um, you know, it puts all in context. And as an added bonus, I talked to Patrick, the first three people um, that do email me at davidavewakeman.com. I will help you do the data. I will help you uh, understand, interpret, and gain insights from the survey. So it's a really powerful tool. Uh, Patrick and I and Lisa, we all agree that it's like really, really uh, um, a, s- a great snapshot. It tells you where you are because if you're going up and you're trending up, it means you're getting better. And if you're trending down, that usually means like something's wrong and it allows you, if you use it regularly, to make corrections. And it's so, so super powerful. But let me also ask you a question here because you talked about being a partner and only being as successful as your partners are. How do you, as an outside partner, make sure that your your partners are successful? Because that's not always um, a top of mind concern in some of the in some relationships. Uh, good, good one. Um, to make our partners only the best questions, Lisa. Only the best I, questions. I, I know. Um, you know, creating a successful partnership, um, you know, is it's a two way street. Um, because in, in, in good partnerships, no, no one wants the other, you know, to see the other partner fail, right? If, if, um, I, 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 I'm smiling to myself because to me, this is about, this is a question about shared outcomes, um, in business, um, and aligning goals so that everyone is successful and it's not one-sided. Um, there's, there's a funny proverb um, and Patrick Ryan likes to use this one, but it, it really kind of plays into the concept of, you know, you can shear a sheep many times, but you can only skin it once. And it really, you know, that that line itself means, you know, if you foster something sensibly and you renew it and you love it, it lasts. But if you have a destructive or one-sided approach, it does not. I mean, I, I also <laughs> think about it's like the chicken and the egg, too. If you have a chicken, you can have eggs and eat breakfast for, for months. But if you decide to roast that chicken, well, then it's gone and you don't have any more eggs. So I think, you know, when I bring this back to business, you know, nearly all of our partners don't want a Ventilect to, like, get behind the eight ball, you know, and and sort of take a loss in the first year, you know, we want to establish part, a partnership together. And we do this through full transparency and full trust so that we can make sure that we understand the goals of the team, but we can also say, you know, here's where there's risk in these certain games. Here's where there's more upside. Here's how together, if, event select can see a fair return and be able to provide the stability and the support to the team. You know, those, that combination is 99% of the time, exactly how we want to be working together so that it becomes successful for the team because we're providing technology, data, insights, uh, risk mitigation, um, and really, you know, being a, you know, in many ways, we can be uh, we can complement a team strategy. We can be a backstop. Um, there's different ways that we can structure it, but we're very you know we're very upfront too that you know we're all in it together, and so that's really important. And and understanding and sort of committing to a shared goal, um, and understanding what the expectation is. You know, putting aside competing agendas, um, and make, making sure we're on the same page. Um, you know, I, I can give you actually a really good example too, because I just had a conversation with uh, with a prospect that I hope to be a partner here soon. But it, it really illustrates what it means to make our partner successful. Is 
is when we have, you know, this team said, here's my goals. I have two games that I want to maximize attendance. I have two of my games that I want to maximize my upside. And then I have two of my games that I just want to make sure these zones are full because they're on TV. And right. So there's like three separate specific goals for the six games on, on the schedule. Now, by establishing that up front, I mean, it, this is the power of making our our team successful is we can actually at events like we can create a forecast and a projection. And then we can also say based on these goals, here's how tickets are going to sell. Excuse me. Here's how tickets are going to sell. Here's what we think the pacing is. And we'll map out this this forecast so that we're in alignment on the goals. You know, if we're behind pace, we know it. If we're ahead of ahead of our forecast, you know, we will know it. But it's a it's a really great way of, um, again, you know, fostering that relationship um, over and over again by being transparent, aligning with goals, um, knowing how each side is going to benefit from um, for the plan that we put in place, um, and then being there. You know, if if the plan doesn't come through, you know, one we'll be having a conversation about it because we could, you know, we have active communication and we have the data, so it's fully fully visible. So there's no surprises. But if it if something does you know not go as the forecast, we're the type of partner that doesn't act in a way that is going to quote unquote you know to to skin the sheep. You know we're there long term with our partners. We're able to again take on some of that risk with also balancing a lot of you know where there are opportunities to have greater margin um, to create successful partnerships long term. Um, and it really is a you know. All that combined is is you know part of how we view partners, and I think it's really appreciated too that this isn't about a race to make six dollars on a ticket. This isn't about um, you know making a, a big paycheck for event select in the first year of our partnership. You know this isn't about you know the big highs and then you know and then not having a good partnership when things go sideways. And in fact, you know, some of the best partners too are are the ones that are not only you know we're there for each other um, through the highs and the lows. And again, that you know, I, there's the term you know win-win for everyone, and it really is the case. But having the flexibility though both ways is, uh, and the communication and the transparency, it's it's it really does, you know. And I think that's why when we work with our partners, a lot of times they really don't they don't really leave us because they see that. We are taking care of them and 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 meeting them where they need the greatest amount of help. You know, if there if there's a team that knows they're really good at selling premium but really struggle with groups, well then Eventelect will help with the group tickets because we want the team to do what they're good at. We want to complement mm-hmm. where they're not, you know, where they struggle. And then again, establishing what those goals are, we work together to create success. Yeah. So uh, let me highlight these things because I think this is important to to mention again, which is that there's no one size fits all point here. It's each organization has its own special needs and wants, and you address that because all too often it's a one size fits all approach. People try to throw at people. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is because you're transparent, because you have all the data, because you know the clear goals and objectives. One of the cool things is, is like you can also change very quickly. Am I correct in that? Yeah. Yes. So like, <laughs> you know, you, you don't set it and forget it. And I think that's very important because a lot of times I talk to people and their partners are, um, you know, once they're in, it's kind of like they don't have any ability to be flexible. And that and that's unfortunate for people. Um, the final thing, though, is you brought up the idea of pricing. And I know that we're now going to start running short on time. But I wanted to bring up this because you brought up the idea of like six dollar tickets, which um if there, there's two things I hate more than anything, it's like overpricing beer and it's underpricing on tickets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will say when I went to you know Mercedes Benz and uh, Stadium in Atlanta and they actually had beer at a reasonable price, I, it, that helped improve the fan experience. So absolutely, um, Lisa, well, how have we not been friends before? <laughs> I know. So Hilarious. when you. When you're working, though, you know, all kidding aside here, okay, because, you know, the pricing thing is super important. 
Um, yeah. How do you work with your partner? See, I like the way that we, we got really serious here for a second. Um, you know, how do you ensure price integrity for your, your partners? Like, how, you know, what goes into the way you think about pricing? Because it really is discounting or undervaluing your ticket, underpricing is um, probably one of the worst things. I, actually, discounting is the worst thing you can do for your brand. But underpricing is another incredibly bad thing you can do for your brand. You know, so how do you fight back against that? Because that's like something yeah. that I, I, I stomp and I yell and scream from my little platform here all the time about yeah. Well, it, it really boils down to segmentation, um, you know, to, to properly maximize revenue long term. It does take a customized solution zone by zone and customer type by customer type. Um, I, I think teams often let uh let a, a higher end customer not buy a good enough seat um, or understanding where, you know, at what price point should this customer really be investing in? You know, when you think about the t- kind of conversations too, when, when you in typical sales is, okay, you want that seat. Um, let me have your credit card. You know, I'm trying to get the sale. That's kind of it, you know, Salespeople like to close. Uh, and so regardless of once I close, you know, then for me, you know, then if I can close a certain amount, I see my commission check. But a sales, you know, salesperson should actually be thinking, am I providing, am I selling the right experience? So, you know, the, maybe the conversation should be, hey, fan, are you sure you're going to be comfortable in these seats? And if you're not, maybe I should show you a better seat, or maybe I should show you a seat that's higher up if you'd like to see a you know a wider view, versus hey, great, can I just have your credit card? So that that sort of understanding of is this the right seat for this type of fan um, is actually you know more important than selling and maximizing revenue long term versus the quick sell and taking a credit card uh, and just looking at the bottom line because you know. Over, over time, if we're out, if if there's $6 and $8 seats out there, when, you know, your season ticket holders, donors have been paying a lot of money, you're going to devalue the seat. The, you're going to, season ticket holders are going to feel devalued. There's not going to be fair pricing. And that $6 can be, can actually devalue the brand so much that it's harder to get fans back in. So there really is no, there's no positive outcome to cheap tickets because you're not moving the needle in terms of the revenue that you get from selling a $6 ticket. And in fact, you're doing more brand damage long-term because it looks like your product and your fan experience is, is now, you know, again, devalued at that level. That's only worth $6 get in the door. So, I mean, I would encourage, you know, that communication with teams, um, and so that we also, you know, could see it and monitor, you know, what the market is doing. But when there's a lot of, um, you know, when there's a lot of different sort of traditional, uh, I just want to say there are a lot of people who are bought reselling tickets, you know, not all of them are working in the best interest of the team. And if it's so important for the, for someone to make $6 on a ticket versus think about, the strategy and the brand and what it means to to the content rights owner, um, you know, I, th- those are people that I wouldn't want to be selling my tickets to. So I think it's I think that's an important key though is, you know, if you're not we're not going to sell out every game. That's the reality. So let's let's think about it of who we're selling to. Are we selling them the right product? Are we putting them in the right place? Are we segmenting as much as we can so that we're maximizing the revenue, not just on one game, but all games? You know, if we break that trust with a with uh, our season ticket holders and now our product's being devalued, you know, that, that's, that could have long-term ramifications. It's so much harder to get that fan back. Yeah. So, um, you know, thinking about, Price maximization is not necessarily about discounting a ticket. It's more about segmentation and making sure we're, we're offering the right product to the right fan in the right part of the stadium. Right. And to add on to your point, I would say that 
there is a thing in marketing called sales orientation. And that basically is like your salespeople come in and, and it's partly an incentive issue where they say, hey, look, all revenue is good revenue. Every customer is a good customer. And your job as an organization is to make sure that you understand what customers are good for you in what context, you know, that all customers aren't necessarily good customers and that you protect mm-hmm. the brand at all yes. costs because your brand is your most valuable asset. Um, and, you know, and that, that like the way you put it was great because I don't think you can, um, you know, you, you can't lose sight of how much and how fast underpricing or not doing right by the customer will undervalue right. your brand. And it is hard. If you're a baseball team, you're not selling out every game, right? Right. Um, but you can, but you can get a lot better attendance than, than, you, than you probably have been in the past. It's, but that begins by looking at the customer. Exactly. But Lisa, where can people find you on the internet? After after we talked about the resellers, though, we probably won't, don't want to tell anybody where to find either one of us. But that's fine. <laughs> they know how to find me. They'll 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 send hate mail my way. It's fine. Um, well, I I am on Twitter. Um, L Shrive Walker uh, is my Twitter handle, um, and I, I I am on LinkedIn. So. Um, you can find me there. Uh, we also eventelect.com is our, our website. Um, so, you know, happy to uh, provide information if anyone wants to send me a, a note on LinkedIn um, and connect that way. That would be fantastic. Um, I'm a little more active on LinkedIn than I am on Twitter, but um, uh, certainly happy to, to follow up and have a conversation if anyone out there wants to continue uh, after today. And Dave, thank you so much for this opportunity um, and the great conversation. We've got lots of work to do here heading into 2021 seasons. Um, but as I mentioned before, you know, I really do think this is an opportunity of a lifetime for all of us to be, you know, setting the bar at, at, a, at, a, at new heights um, and thinking about how we're evolving based on new behaviors. So it's an exciting, exciting time to see our world um, shift into a more positive light here. And uh, hopefully that, that brings a lot of good sports fans back into arenas and stadiums here pretty soon. Yeah. If you can't have fun now, when are you ever going to have fun working on tickets? That's, that's my, (laughs) that's my gig on everybody. Sounds good. Well, thank you again. What did you think of my conversation with Lisa? Let me know. You send me an email. It is my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Uh, something I'm very proud of is I've put a new blog post up on my blog every day this year. Check it out, DaveWakeman.com. Make sure you get the Talking Tickets newsletter. That is TalkingTickets.substack.com. Five top stories from the week with some analysis, some action items, uh, hopefully an interesting take on the world of tickets and live entertainment. Check it out, talkingtickets.substack.com. Uh, make sure you check out the NPS worksheet that I put together with Eventelect. Uh, NPS is the net promoter score. The survey is very simple. The measurement is great, right? It is a single number that you can use to explain uh, to your organization where you are in your customer's eyes. You can measure it over time and it can tell you where, whether you're ready to grow or maybe there's hiccups and challenges that you need to be checking out in your organization. Uh, The worksheet's great. It teaches you how to use the number, what the number means. It helps you put it in the context of your organization versus organizations from around the world. Um, it's a really cool thing. Send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com. And as an added, added bonus, Eventelect and I are going to give you some time with me to help analyze and uh, understand what's coming out of that the data from the survey. So the first three people that ask for it, I'm going to give you a free coaching session around the NPS survey. You know, again, daviddavewakeman.com. Make sure you check out my friends at Booking Protect. Uh, Booking Protect's refund protection product is uh, world-class. And as we emerge from the lockdowns and the pandemic, offering people refund protection is going to be a valuable way to help give people peace of mind, uh, overcome some of the uncertainty around events, and it could be a new revenue stream for you. From what I understand, um, the rate of uptake on refund protection since events have started to go back on sale is almost twice what it was before the pandemic. 
This tells me that people are looking for a little more certainty. Um, they are looking to have a little bit of reassurance when they make a purchase like this. Um, offering it is a no-brainer. So check out BookingProtect.com. Connect with Simon, Cat, or Kath, or any of the Booking Protect team to find out how you can offer it to your organization. And make sure you connect with the people at ActivityStream. They are the folks that put together the We Will Recover initiative. You can find that at wewillrecover.live, um, activitystream.com. They have been working on some new tools and some new ways to help you understand how to use data and make decisions after the pandemic. So check them out. As always, thank you so much for checking me out and listening. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. <laughs>